welcome to the Ontario Animal Health Network Equine Network podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Allison Moore, co-chair of the Equine Network. Our guest today is a returning guest, Dr. Tracy Chenier, a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Theriogenologists and associate professor of theriogenology in the Department of Population Medicine at the Ontario Veterinary College. She's going to talk to us today about her latest project, which involves a really fascinating potential cause of abortion in mares, entitled Seroprevalence of Neospora Caninum in Ontario Broodmares and its Potential Role in Equine Abortions. Welcome, Dr. Shenyang. Thanks for having me. Um, could you briefly describe your research question that you set out to answer? Sure. Uh, so Neospora caninum is a, a, a parasite and it's a really important cause of abortion in cattle worldwide, including Ontario. There are really not a lot of studies on this parasite in horses um, and no studies existed in Canada. So we wanted to understand how prevalent exposure to this parasite was in, in uh, horses in Ontario. Uh, and the reason we were interested was because it, there's been previous studies in other countries that show uh, high exposure or seroprevalence in some of those countries. And it's also been associated with abortions and pregnancy loss and failure of pregnancy in horses. And there have been a few cases of abortion that were confirmed where they found the parasite in the tissues. Uh, of abortion cases in horses in, in other areas of the world. So we wanted to take a look at this parasite uh, here in Ontario because uh, no one had looked at it before. It's a really fascinating topic and you know I, I'm looking forward to, to, to uh, hearing what you have to tell us but before we get going um, could you just explain what Neospora caninum is? Sure, it's a protozoan parasite and it's uh, fascinating because uh, it has a, an interesting life cycle. So for Neospora caninum, canines, which means dogs, farm dogs, uh, pet dogs, and coyotes, uh, other canine species, are the definitive hosts. So they're the final host that when they're infected, then they will shed oocysts from the parasite in their feces. And then those uh, in the environment sporulate and then are ingested by what's called the intermediate host, which is essentially any other mammals. So that can be horses, cattle, sheep, rodents. Uh, and then when they ingest it, it forms, the parasite forms tissue cysts in various parts of the body. Um, it's also very efficiently transmitted across the placenta. So from a pregnant uh, female, so it could be a cow, a sheep, a horse, uh, to their foal, to their through the placenta to the offspring. Um, and so then what happens is canines are infected, the definitive host is infected by ingesting those tissue cysts in the tissues of the intermediate host. So that could be muscle tissue or, or heart tissue or placentas from uh, the other people may leave may leave out or that might be aborted. So are there other um, intermediate hosts around as well? Like, so let's, if we talk um, wild canids, foxes, et cetera, what might they be eating on um, to get infected? Do we know? 
Well, they could certainly be eating rodents that are infected, intermediate hosts, uh, just about anything. So uh, when you look at the variety of, of uh, species that have been found positive, it, it's quite, quite surprising. So virtually any mammal tested could be an intermediate host. So these are all common species, so it would make sense that we would probably have it in Ontario. Um, so can you briefly describe sort of how your project unfolded? Like what exactly did you do and, and then what did you find? Well, I think for a lot of us, I work in the field of reproduction and I think it's, it's really frustrating when, uh, when owners or veterinarians submit uh, an aborted fetus from, from a mare hoping to get a reason for that abortion and then nothing comes comes out of the examination and it, it's unfortunately a very high percentage so anywhere from from 15 or 20 to 40 percent of abortion submissions don't result in a diagnosis as a cause of that abortion so it was clear to me that we're missing some potentially important causes of abortions um, when we're when we're looking at aborted fetuses a colleague of mine in Israel was finding that the exposure rate or the seroprevalence in horses in Israel was extremely high. And so they were, they were going to look at aborted uh, specimens submitted to their lab. And that got us interested in, in doing something similar here in Ontario, where we have no idea about the exposure rate here. Hmm. And so... What, so what did you end up finding with your with your project? So what do we have it in Ontario and and in what kind of numbers and what did you find? Yeah, so we looked at we enrolled 63 Ontario farms uh, into this study uh, and we looked at 219 broodmares. Uh, so we had uh, submissions from across Ontario, from eastern Ontario, lots from central Ontario, southwestern Ontario and, and some from northern Ontario. Uh, and we tested the blood of, uh, of the brood mares. So samples were blood, uh, blood that was sent in. Uh, we, we tested the blood samples for antibodies to both, uh, to both species that we're interested in, Neospora huzi and Neospora caninum. Um, and we were able to do that at a lab that we worked with in California that works a lot, especially with uh, huzi. So when we test the blood, we look for antibodies uh, and so we determined in our study, um, we had 20 mares that were positive for both Huzi and Caninum only out of the 219. And for each of them, it was close to 30% exposure rate. So uh, almost 30% of our brood mares uh, were positive for Neospora Caninum and a very similar percentage were positive for Neospora Huzi. And about half of farms had at least one mare positive. So just, I'm just going to pause you there. So you added Neospora Huzi um, testing to the project. So why did you decide to look at uh, Neospora Huzi as well? That was kind of serendipitous. So when we submitted the lab, uh, when we submitted the blood samples to the lab, uh, they asked if we wanted to also run Huzi. They had uh, the ability to do so. We originally weren't going to do Huzi, just Caninum. But um, there's not as much known about Huzi. It's a rare cause of the neurologic disease known as EPM in horses. 
There, we don't know the life cycle of Hugh's eye. There isn't as much really known about it. So it was an opportunity uh, that arose with the lab that we sent the samples to, to actually gain more information than we originally set out to. So that was kind of exciting for us. So just for clarity, so Neospora caninum, it does not cause neuro, neurologic disease in horses? Not that's been identified. So back to um, your study. So you were sampling these brood mares across the province, looking at antibody levels in their blood. And uh, about 30%, you said, uh, were positive for either Neospora caninum or Neospora huesi, huesi, sorry. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. And so were there many brood mares that were positive for both Neospora species? No, so there wasn't a lot of cross-reactivity in the assay between the two, which was good. And we only had 20 broodmares out of the 219, so less than 10%, that were actually positive for both. And we had a number of farms that had mares positive for Hughes eye, but none of the mares that were tested were positive for caninum, for instance. So it, it wasn't, uh, wasn't a case that if you have one, you have both. Okay, so that's good to know for uh, sort of separates the two um, diseases as well. Um, so going back to Neospora caninum and those brood mares that had positive antibodies, so were any of these mares showing signs at all? That's a great point. So no, we're not looking at disease. So this is just exposure. So all of these were healthy brood mares. There were this wasn't a case of identifying disease. Um, uh, so this was just exposure. So a positive in this situation just tells you that they've been previously exposed, not that they have a, a disease. And did you find Neospora caninum associated with any abortions in, in these mares at all? So that's a great question. We, we set out to hopefully uh, have a large number, about 50 per year, aborted fetuses submitted to the lab that we could, the, we could then test for Neospora. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic and lockdowns and restrictions, uh, we only had 14 aborted fetuses submitted to this study, and none of them had uh, Neospora caninum identified in them, either by PCR or on uh, histopathology. But we had very, very few submitted in the, in the time of the study. So is that something that you want to expand that that part of the project you are you interested in looking at further abortions and is this something that would potentially be on an abortion panel if we created one for equine i think so i think it we just don't know the work out of israel where they have really high seroprevalence so in in some of their studies 70 percent of their mares are positive for exposure and in one of their studies, 40% of aborted fetuses were positive for Neospora caninum. The situation here is, seems to be a bit different. We don't, and in our study at least, we don't have anywhere near that high of exposure rate right now. Um, but I think an, as a point of surveillance, for sure, it's important that we test any fetuses that are submitted and encourage uh, clients to submit aborted fetuses for testing. It's one of those things, if you don't look for it, you won't find it. Right. So if we're not currently testing for it, um, we're not gonna find it. So I think from a surveillance point of view, it would be great to test everything, every aborted fetus for it. 
So looking at um, aborted fetuses in the placenta, are there any characteristic signs? So I'm, I'm thinking as a veterinarian right now um, that would indicate Neospora infection over say an equine herpes virus one infection. Is there any defining characteristics for Neospora? Not grossly, but certainly on a microscopic examination. Um, you know, it seems to be the best chance of, of getting it, uh, the, the parasite or PCR from the parasite uh, from the thoracic fluid from a fetus. So uh, collecting the right samples is important. Brain, thoracic fluid, lungs, liver, kidney, uh, those, those tissues are going to be important, but it's not, um, it, you know, in herpes virus, one of the, the most common things that is seen is a, a fibrin cast in the trachea, for instance. That's, that's an obvious indication of herpes virus. Uh, or with umbilical cord torsion, it's something we can see grossly, uh, but that's not the case with Neospora. Okay. And are there significant changes in the placenta as well that the placenta should be submitted or is the fetus the prime uh, you know, samples to be taken from the fetus more important? I think both are important. Certainly it can be found in the placenta. And I think anytime veterinarians or owners are submitting an aborted fetus, submit everything. Okay. So you mentioned uh, when we, you didn't really find uh, Neospora caninum in aborted fetuses, but you didn't really have an, a good number of samples. But what did you find in those aborted fetuses as the, the cause of the abortion? Oh, yeah, good question. Well, frustratingly, we found 23% uh, no cause identified. So my frustration continues. Uh, the number one identified cause was actually placentitis at 23%, followed by both herpes virus, not surprising, and umbilical cord torsion. And then we had uh, a couple of uh, congenital abnormalities in the fetuses after that. So, the, so those are, uh, you know, those are fairly typical causes of abortion, and 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 they are frustrating, as you mentioned. But it's a good reminder that people need to keep the the vets involved with uh, broodmare health and uterine health, and making sure that uh, they're being monitored when needed through pregnancy, before pregnancy, and after pregnancy to make sure that reproductive environment stays healthy for the next. Uh, um, for the next fetus really and maybe we'll, we'll have another podcast on other causes of abortion going going further that sounds good <laughs> going back to um the studies in israel they i think they mentioned correct me if i'm wrong that over time that seroprevalence has been increasing do we i mean i guess it's hard to say because this is the first seroprevalence study that's been done in ontario but do you suspect the same Thing would occur that over time we'll see uh, more and more mares positive or is that too speculative? I think that's really speculative and there was another study over two years that had far lower sour prevalence the second year in a different a different location uh, so I think it depends on whether or not there's an acute infection uh, going on in, a, in an area or in a, in a specific farm and then you know the disease kind of becomes endemic or or reduces to a more steady state, perhaps. Um, I think 
it's been shown because of the transplacental transmission that certainly that's a way in, in cattle as well as horses that the, uh, the parasite persists in a population. So if uh, an infected broodmare is passing it on to her offspring, they're going to stay infected once infected. Um, and then they have, a, have some risk of passing it on to their offspring. And so it, can, it seems to stay uh, you know, within an, a population due to that. Right. So looking back at um, your study in Ontario, like in, in cattle, we know that there's been some risk factors associated with infection related to uh, dogs on the farm, that sort of thing. Did you find similar risk factors for your mares with um, antibodies present? Yeah, we looked at those. Uh, we were expecting similar risk factors as for cattle, and to some degree that, that held true. So uh, for Neospora caninum, we did find that the presence of dogs on the farm was a, was a highly significant risk factor. Now, 74% of farms reported having dogs, but it still held up as, a, as an important risk factor, and that fits with the life cycle for, for Neospora caninum. The other one we found significant was uh, farms that, were, that had higher stocking density, so crowding uh, of conditions. So we looked at stocking density essentially uh, the same as the USDA, so pounds of horse per acre uh, to determine what was the stocking density on a farm. So that was also a, a, a significant risk factor and, and, uh, and fits also with cattle. What was interesting is we found actually lower risk on farms that had livestock other than cows. So um, if they had sheep and goats and poultry or, or any of those, they had uh, considerably lower risk of those, uh, the mares on those farms testing positive. We're not sure why that is. It could be that those farms just have better biosecurity practices because they have other species. It's also possible that those other species are essentially cleaning up the osis in the environment uh, so that the, they're preferentially infected and not the horses. We don't know, and, and that deserves more study for sure. Yeah, for, for sure. For Neospora huzi, uh, the only risk factor we found significant was the practice of feeding hay on the ground. Um, and as I mentioned before, we don't know the life cycle for Huzai, so it's really hard to speculate, uh, you know, why perhaps dogs on the farm weren't significant, don't know. Maybe there are other risk factors that are just more important for Huzai for transmission than, than some of the other ones we saw for caninum. Yeah, we certainly need to know more about the life cycle of Huzai to uh, do some further work for sure. Um, did you find any uh, breed predisposition or age predisposition with these mares and their positive antibodies? We did not. Uh, so in previous studies uh, with increasing age, it seemed to, you know, in some studies anyway, it seems to increase the risk of exposure, which you would, you know, kind of makes intuitive sense because an older animal has been exposed more often and perhaps is, is more likely to uh, cat get the infection. We didn't find that as a significant risk factor. We also didn't find a significant effect of breed. Um, and maybe because we had, you know, not enough of certain breeds to have enough statistical power to look at that. 
I also think that there's, uh, you know, there's considerable difference in the way certain breeds or, or horses used for certain things are managed. And, you know, they may not be kept outdoors or not get outside very much, or uh, as opposed to certain other breeds or uses that are, are essentially housed outdoors all the time that are at higher risk. So I think it's really hard to tease apart because of management factors, breed from, is it, is it the breed or the management factor, the way that they're housed? Right. So you, you, you tested mares across the province. Did you find any um, geographical predisposition? Are there more uh, exposed brood mares in one part of the province versus the other? Or, or was that a, you know, a little hard to tell from the numbers you did? Yeah, again, we didn't we didn't find a, a risk geographically. Um, we didn't have a lot of submissions from Northern Ontario, so I think it's a little bit hard. We had to combine some geographical areas to uh, to get enough numbers in certain areas, but uh, we didn't see a, a geographical change um, in our study. Okay, so in your project, you also looked at Neospora huzi, and you've got about 30% uh, seroprevalence, or 3% or of the mares had antibodies in their blood. So what would you tell an owner of a broodmare that you were providing these results to about uh, if they had questions about EPM in their horse? What, what, what does that antibody level mean to you? So uh, it's clear to us and to the lab that was doing the testing that there's a big difference between exposure level titers and, uh, and for us that's anything 1 in 160 and over. Uh, much, much higher levels were associated with active disease. And remember in our study these are all healthy horses. So we didn't see any titers that were in the range of, of diseased horses which fits with our healthy population. And, and that's a really important thing to mention because we know people um, uh, associate titers for equine protozoa myelitis um, with wanting to treat that horse and not actually looking at the clinical signs that that horse has. So it's really important to be aware that these are results relating to exposure and not for any diagnosis of disease. So. That is a great point. So you mentioned that uh, having dogs on the farm was a risk factor for uh, exposure to Neosporocaninum in particular. Um, so what, what do you tell owners? Do they need to get rid of their dogs on the farm? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not advising owners to get rid of their farm dogs. Um, no, not at all. Uh, not that, not that, Horse farm horse owners are going to get rid of their dogs. Uh, I do think, though, we need to think about uh, biosecurity. So ways that we can avoid infection of not only the horses on the farm but the dogs on the farm, because though they are the definitive hosts. So certain things like don't feed raw meat diets. So you could potentially be infecting your dog with a raw meat diet. Uh, you know, a lot of people put, when a mare foals, they put the placenta on the manure pile and then the, the, the local coyotes or the farm dogs take that placenta and chew on it and, and, um, and so they could be getting infected that way. So good biosecurity practices around uh, disposal of carcasses and tissues I think is really important to prevent 
the dogs from being infected. Um, and then also, so, so don't get rid of your dogs, but clean up after your dogs. So don't allow <laughs> your dogs to defecate in, in horse feeding areas. Um, you know, and, and it probably helps a lot to avoid feeding on the ground, feed up off the ground so dogs aren't readily or, or coyotes aren't readily able to um, defecate in those feeding areas and try to avoid that cross-contamination. So no, I don't think horse owners need to get rid of their dogs, and I, but I do think some, uh, some simple practices to avoid infection will be really helpful. Yeah, and I think it's a great reminder of biosecurity because a lot of people have farm dogs that roam around the property and then there's other places where people bring their dogs to the property and and uh, allow them to roam out at large so i think these are really great uh, pieces of advice okay so now that you've looked at neospora caninum in brood mares uh, is there value to looking at its prevalence in just the general population of horses in Ontario? And, and what would that mean? Uh, well, to this point, uh, Neospora caninum has only really been associated with uh, potential abortions. So, um, you know, other than in the replacement stock the, that people might have, it, it um, I'm not sure that it would be that much value, but for Hughes eye, since it's more associated as a rare cause of EPM, neurologic disease, I think that would be valuable to have a better understanding in the general population here what the exposure level is. Yes, I do agree, because we, we often, when we do send um, testing for Hughes eye, uh, usually goes to UC Davis or Kentucky. Um, we don't really know what to do with those titers because we really don't know what the prevalence is in the province as well. So yeah, that's, I think that would be a great thing to look at. Um, so where do you go next with uh, the results you have from this study? Uh, what would you like to look at further? Uh, well, as you mentioned before, I think that it's really important uh, to do ongoing studies. I think we need to understand the life cycle for Neospora huzi. Um, I, you know, once we understand the life cycle better, I think it's easier to understand how to protect horses from exposure, uh, the things that we can do to keep horses from becoming infected. Um, I'd also like to do more surveillance with fetuses that are submitted for abortion to get a better understanding of, of how significant a problem is Neospora caninum here as a cause of abortion. We just didn't have the numbers in our study uh, due to the pandemic. You know, we just didn't get the submissions we were hoping to get. So we need to answer that question. The other thing I'd really like to explore a bit more is the protective uh, effect we saw with other livestock species on the farm, um, you know, whether it means going to those farms and, and asking more questions and looking at their biosecurity practices, uh, really understanding what it is about those other livestock on the farm, what, what, is, what the interaction is there. Yeah, that is a super fascinating point, the other livestock. Another thing that was interesting is we didn't find an association on those farms that had cows. 
uh, and the chances of mares on the farm being infected. Now we only had nine farms in the study that also had cattle. And the reason that's interesting, you know, be, is partly because cattle, it, it's such a well-known cause of abortion in cattle in Ontario, but also there was a study done here in Ontario that showed that cattle for cattle farms that had horses on the farm was a significant risk factor for abortion due to Neospora. So is there some other kind of relationship between horses on the farm and these other livestock that's that we're not understanding? Yeah, it's, it's, it is super, it, well, it's very fascinating. And I think it, you know, it really encompasses that whole one health approach to disease for sure. Looking at the interactions with other, other species on disease. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Chenye, for a really fascinating discussion on uh, Neospora caninum as a potential cause of abortion in Ontario broodmares, as well as the uh, prevalence uh, or beginning prevalence of Neospora husei in, in these mares as well. Um, thanks, and I hope that we can talk again, hopefully on some more causes of abortion.